Hey everyone, Brett here. So just a quick reminder before we start the show, over the next 10 days, we have meetups in Toronto, Vancouver, and New York City. Toronto on Wednesday, June 17th, Vancouver Wednesday, June 24th, and New York City in Manhattan on Thursday, June 25th. All our evening events, all are free. I'm going to be there. I'll be sharing. You can ask me anything and you will meet some incredible other listeners. We will be sharing full details, times, and locations at the end of the show. You will also receive details if you're on our email list and you can check out our Facebook page too. Thanks everyone. All right, let's start the show. There once was a man named František who lived in a very small town in Czechoslovakia called Lundžot. It was about six and a half kilometers from the Austrian border. Between the years of 1949 and 1950, he couriered dozens, maybe over a hundred people into Austria from communist rule Czechoslovakia. In 1950, he got his wife and four children out. A few months later, as documentation was being prepared to bring them all to Canada, he went back into Czechoslovakia to help one last person escape. It was a trap. He was ambushed at the Austrian border and died of multiple gunshot wounds to the chest and neck on October 6, 1950. After František died, his family did end up immigrating to Canada. His wife, now widow, her two daughters, eldest son and youngest son, Milan. Milan was 12 years old at the time. And as they all adapted to their new reality in this new country, Milan learned English, went on to graduate high school, and became an engineer. Eventually, he would get married, have two sons, own his own business, and create a fulfilling life for his family. Then, in his 50th year, he had a seizure, was diagnosed with cancer, and less than three months later, he was dead. I'm thinking of these men because this Sunday is Father's Day, and František, the man who was shot and killed, that was my grandfather. And his son, Milan, that's my dad. And while this episode uses Father's Day as a starting point, as is often the case in a Where There's Smoke episode, this episode isn't really about fathers, or just about fathers. It's about something else entirely. So if I can put on my best TV lawyer's voice and ask you to trust and give us a little leeway, we believe it'll be worth it. I'm going to allow it. Thank you, Your Honor. Welcome to Where There's Smoke, the show where we explore self-development through the lens of current events, sports, and pop culture. On this week's show, we are taking a journey through history to discover gratitude. We have a real conversation with corporate renegade founder Matthew Goldfarb, and we share how you can join the Where There's Smoke team. My name is Brett Gaida, and I am your host. People will come, Ray. They'll come to Iowa for reasons they can't even fathom. They'll turn up your driveway. Do you ever have that experience sure where you're having a bad day and then at the right moment a song comes on that puts everything in a perspective? Yeah, Nick, we, we know you have. I'm sure most of us have had that experience where it feels like someone or something is trying to tell us something. These moments happen and from them we pull out meaning. And this meaning that we create is almost purely of our own invention. In fact, our memories will often start to blend what actually happened in order to support the story we tell ourselves. 
Since the age of 18, I've remembered a very specific moment from the day of my dad's funeral. And like all memories that are seared into our brain, I've pulled meaning from it. And that interpretation of that moment ended up shaping much of the next decade of my life. And it all happened right here. At this very spot, as I am recording this, I'm standing on the corner of North Service Road and here, Ontario, in Mississauga, Ontario, Canada. And this moment that I'm talking about, it happened right over there. With my mom, my brother, and I stopped at the red light in the car behind the hearse that was carrying my dad. There were so many people at my dad's funeral. I remember it feeling like he didn't have an enemy in the world, which of course wasn't true. It was just this feeling that so many people cared that he was alive and so many people were devastated that he was gone. And there we were, sitting in the back seat of this town car. I was in the middle, my brother on one side, my mom on the other, and we got to this stoplight. I remember turning around and looking out the back window and all I could see for as far as I could see was a line of cars. If you've ever seen the movie Field of Dreams, you may remember the final shot. The camera pans out, and as the shot gets wider, you see a line of car lights coming to the field. The camera pans out, and as the shot gets wider, you see a line of car lights coming to the field that just seem to go on forever. Cars validating the hypothesis of James Earl Jones's character that people will come. That's what I remember seeing that day at my dad's funeral, even though it was daylight. And I distinctly remember thinking to myself, well, they're following me now. I had just turned 18 years old. I was blessed to have a father for 18 years to raise me. But just when I needed a mentor the most, just when I was ready to learn what it meant to be a man, he was gone. And in that moment, I felt like it was on me now. I had to figure out how to be a man, how to live a life worthy of others' respect. There is a saying, attributed to many people, probably originated by none of them, and yet true nonetheless. We don't see the world as it is. We see it as we are. At that time of my father's death, I gave his life, his death, my experience, meaning. That meaning became like Muzak in an elevator. You don't always hear it, but it's there. Always playing and having a small subconscious impact on how you feel and act. Sometimes I tuned into it really listening and its meaning fueled me forward. Other times it was deafening and debilitating and I just wanted it to stop. For the first few years after my father's death, I created this exorcism ritual of sorts. When the Muzak was too loud, too much, and I needed to let it out, I would watch Field of Dreams. At this point, I've probably seen that movie 30 times. I mean, you wouldn't watch the same movie over and over again, would you? Maybe a great movie like Die Hard, but Field of Dreams? Once is more than enough. The number one example on the tip of your tongue of a bad movie is Field of Dreams? It's about ghost baseball players. I think it's stupid. 
because there is a moment at the end of the movie where Kevin Cosner's character Ray Kinsella realizes that one of the baseball players who has returned from the afterlife is his father. And as he sees him for the first time, he realizes that all the messages he received were about him and his dad. If you build it, he will come. Go the distance. Ease his pain. What? He proceeds to meet him, talk with him, and then just as his dad is going to leave, he calls out to stop him. Hey, Dad? You want to have a catch? I'd like that. Each and every one of those 30 viewings, every single time I heard those lines, I bawled. Even now, as I record this script, there are tears in my eyes. And so I would watch Field of Dreams and just let myself cry, letting it all out. And it was a strange ritual because I never fast-forwarded to the end to just watch this part. I would watch the whole movie, knowing that at the end there would be this emotional catharsis for me. Again, another meaning I placed on something in my life. In her 2011 TED Talk entitled, On Being Wrong, Catherine Schulz talks about how we interpret these signs around us. If you think about it, even thinking of things as a sign is an interpretation. She says, The miracle of your mind isn't that you can see the world as it is. It's that you can see the world as it isn't. Another way of pointing out that we all see a world of our making but also a reminder that we can make it anything. My dad was awesome, but in his death, I think I might have made him more awesome. And we do that, right? In 2010, Robin Williams said in an interview with The Guardian UK, in America, they really do mythologize people when they die. And four years later, we certainly did that with Robin. And it is not that Robin wasn't an amazing human being, or that my dad wasn't an awesome guy. It's just that once someone you love is gone, it's so much easier to mythologize them than to grapple with how complicated and imperfect they surely were. Your daddy was a cop? Not a cop. An officer. A legend. All over Hong Kong. My daddy a legend too, all over America. My daddy once arrested 15 people in one night by himself. My daddy arrested 25 by himself. My daddy saved five crackheads from a burning building by himself. My daddy once caught a bullet with his bare hands. And so my dad was my hero. I measured myself against him. I wanted everyone to like me like they did my dad. I wanted to make him proud and have that line of cars at my funeral. And this is how I have felt and thought for most of the 26 years since my dad died. And many people who know me know that he comes up frequently in things I say, write, and share. I love to acknowledge him and honor him, and I think it is my way of holding on to him, keeping him alive. And then just last week, something hit me, and I'm ashamed to admit what I'm about to say, because I'm sorry that it took me this long. I realize, or at least I feel, that all of this has been terribly unfair to my mom. Because it occurred to me that she got the short end of the stick. I mean, as we said, it's easy to glorify the people we lose in our life. 
they are gone and what we focus on expands. Their moments of glory, so to speak, become the whole of them. But there is more than one type of strength and courage. There is the strength and courage expelled in cataclysmic events that shines bright and loud. And then there is the strength and courage to keep going, to stay steady. The bravery to persevere, or as we said in our experience episode, to grow in third gear. And so yes, my grandfather was shot and killed helping people escape from communist rule. And that was a tough fate. But in many ways, he had the easy job. My grandmother spent a year in a refugee camp with four children ages 3 to 15 before she was sponsored to bring her family of five to Canada. She safely couriered them across the globe to a country where they knew no one, did not speak the language, and did not understand the culture. Once there, she worked to provide for all of them, eventually opening her own business and turning enough profit to buy a house for her family. She worked day in and day out for the rest of her life doing what needed to be done. Incredible. And yes, my father built a life from scratch here and died too young. But when he died, it was my mother that was left behind to handle the affairs of his business and our life to comfort her sons and do what needed to be done, all the while barely being given the space to mourn the loss of the love of her life. I can't fathom how difficult that was, and I know it took tremendous strength, and I don't tell her that enough. I think we don't tell people enough. The people who are right here, living day to day, the people who, if they were to die tomorrow, you would gather with friends and family and all talk about how amazing they were. But the thing is that right now, they are. Everyone is a hero in their own right. We often mythologize the ones who die and celebrate those who make a comeback. But we seem to forget to honor and recognize those who never left, those who have always been here and those who are consistently showing up. And so perhaps today, this week, you can reach out to some of those people in your life who have always been there. Let them know you are grateful for everything they've done and say thank you. Wait a second. That's not quite right. Here's the interesting thing about exploration. You never know what you're going to find. You see, I've thought for all these years I was showing gratitude for my father. And then I thought, well, maybe I need to be showing more gratitude for my mom. And yet as I explored and wrote this episode, I found myself questioning all of that. You keep using the word. I don't think it means what you think it means. I don't think that gratitude is necessarily something you show at all. It is something you feel. And I don't think it is a balancing of the scales. It's not about judging and comparing and deciding what you are most grateful for. Gratitude, true gratitude, has no scale. It is the acceptance of all you have, the quote-unquote good and bad, and a feeling of awe, wonder, and humility for all of it. You see, I think what I have been associating with my father and others as I look back isn't gratitude. It's indebtedness. Psychiatrist and writer Dr. Neil Burton wrote in his article, The Psychology of Gratitude, it is easy to mistake indebtedness for gratitude. 
But indebtedness is based in a feeling of obligation and a need to compensate someone for what they gave you. That's not gratitude. I was shocked to realize that I'm still viewing my father this way. I thought I learned this lesson years ago. And yet, while I learned it, it seems I was due for a refresher. Or maybe a reminder. My initial epiphany happened back in 2001, in the basement of a Holiday Inn, of all things. I was attending a personal development course, and on the third day, we did an exercise where we spoke to our parents. Now, in my case, one of those parents was dead, but in both cases, neither was actually there. We closed our eyes, and through guided visualization, we spoke with them, out loud, anything we wanted to share or questions we wanted to ask. Maybe some of you remember a TV show called The Greatest American Hero. In that show, the lead character finds a costume, a superhero suit that some aliens left. And it has powers, but there's no instruction manual. And so he puts on this suit and he's got strength and he can fly and all these other cool things, but he doesn't really know what to do with any of them. So he has all this power, but he has no idea how to use it. And throughout my 20s, that's how I felt after my dad left. That in raising me until I was 18, he gave me the suit, everything I needed to be a man. But he died before he could teach me how to use it, before we could be adults together and talk about things man to man. And so there, in a Holiday Inn conference room in downtown San Francisco, lights dim, eyes closed, I shared this with him. The memory is so vivid, I would swear to you, he was sitting right in front of me. And of all the ways I could have told my dad how hard it was for me, I referenced this campy 80s TV show. said out loud, it's like the greatest American hero, you know? You left me the suit, but you didn't give me any instructions. He took in everything I said, looked at me, reached out with his left hand playfully, and tapped me on the side of the head and said, what are you doing? Take me off this pedestal you've put me on. I wasn't perfect. I was always just doing the best I could. And I felt like I was screwing up all the time. You're doing great. Stop putting so much pressure on yourself. I love you. That conversation happened almost 14 years ago today. And yet I feel like this past week, I heard it all again and realized that somewhere along the way, I forgot it. And so I don't think this is about feeling that I or any of us owe anything to those who came before us. I think I got that wrong. And that's okay too. Going back to Catherine Schill's TED Talk. 1,200 years before Descartes said his famous thing about I think therefore I am, this guy, St. Augustine, sat down and wrote Fallor ergo sum. I err, therefore I am. Augustine understood that our capacity to screw up, it's not some kind of you know, embarrassing defect in the human system, something we can eradicate or overcome. It's totally fundamental to who we are. 
So what I'm trying to say is that gratitude, true gratitude, isn't simply about saying thank you. It's not about worshiping the important people in your lives. Now, yes, it is important to say thank you and to let people know how appreciative you are of everything they've done. Radic, wait, 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 Radic. However, in the end, true gratitude is about accepting their gifts, their struggles, their devotion, their love, and living your life. Accepting that life is not happening to you or for you, it is just happening. But that what is happening is awesome. All of it. Gratitude is like that Muzak. It's in the air, everywhere, in everything. You just have to listen. Tune in. Now look, we recognize this show is about self-development and we are one of the voices in your life supporting your desire to better yourself and gain more control in your life. But we also want to remind you that you are mostly there. Remember to take time to just soak in what is and be grateful for it. Honor all those people in the past by being present. Feel that breeze. Kick up your feet. Go climb a mountain. Go pursue your dreams. Laugh, love, be happy. That's what they wanted for you in the first place. I want to pause, Daddy. <laughs> okay, buddy, just give me one more minute, okay? Okay. Okay, and then we'll go, all right? Okay. All right, hold on. So basically, I want to show my gratitude to all of you by saying thank you to everyone who has made a difference in my life. Thank you, Grandfather, for risking your life so that your wife and kids could have a better life in another country. Thank you, Bubby, my grandma, for doing the day-to-day -day work to raise four kids. Thank you, Dad, for showing me how to be a man and a father. And thank you, Mom, for always being there, caring, worrying, and participating. Thank you, Larice. Thank you to my son, Radic. Thank you, Kevin Cosner. Thank you, Nick. And thank you, the listeners, for allowing us this opportunity to learn and grow with you week in and week out. But now, in a true display of gratitude, I'm going to do what my grandparents and parents would want for me. I'm going to accept their incredible gifts and share them with my own son. It's not serious work, but it's important. Okay, Rad, are you ready to go to the park? Okay, buddy, let's go. Hey, 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 come here. You want to turn off the mic? You want to turn off the mic? You just got to hit that switch right there. This switch right here. Can you just turn the one? Yep, that one, just turn it down. Just click it down, click it down. Hey, guys, it's Nick. And I just wanted to take a moment to just thank all of the wonderful listeners of Where There's Smoke for all of the support, all the downloads, all of the iTunes ratings all of the Facebook messages, the Twitter messages, all of the ways you've reached out to us, the emails. So just thank you for letting us know you're there and that you care and that you appreciate it. And Brett and I are going to show our gratitude to you by continuing to make the best podcast we possibly can. We struggle and strive every week to do something new and engaging, and we just hope you love it. So thank you. Also, in other exciting news, we're looking for two people who want to come help out the Where There's Smoke production team, which currently is just Brett and I. And we're looking for people with a background in social media and maybe some people with a background in graphic design. So it's not really worth getting into all of the details, but we, and that's Brett and I, when we're done with the show, as you may have heard in the process episode, we're exhausted and we just need help. And we know we have so many talented, creative, passionate listeners out there that we're reaching out to you for help. 
So if you would like the chance to sort of help us design our campaigns or run our social media campaigns, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, grow our email list, or if you're somebody who loves graphic design and you want to help us come up with cool posters and ideas for Facebook ads, then you should reach out to us and email us at connect at wherethersmoke.co. So social media, graphic design, we need your help. We want to talk to you. We want to hang out. So please email us, connect at wherethersmoke.co. Now, if you're not one of those two people, we still need your help. We want to do this so bad this week. So here's what we're going to do. Here's how you can help. Choose your favorite episode of Where There's Smoke. One of mine is uh, the episode called Fish Out of Water. I'm also really partial to the beginnings episode, Tomorrow Never Knows. Uh, Of course, Celine Dion and Taste. But choose your favorite and send it to five people, your five closest friends, and just say, this is a great show. Please support it. If a fraction of you did that, we would see such incredible growth. We would just, my heart would melt and it would be fantastic. So we're looking for social media people and graphic design people. Email us. And if you're not one of those people, then just find your favorite episode. We've got 23 of them and share it with five friends. So that's it. And I'll talk to you later. Thanks. To bring this show home, I want to share a few snippets of a conversation I had with Matthew Goldfarb. Matthew is the founder of a company called Corporate Renegade. They are in the business of messaging and copywriting, and their mission is to help their clients stand out by getting very real about what they care about, very real about what they stand for, and connect with people as human beings. And my experience of Matthew since we met about 18 months ago has been just that. He is a man who stands for something, cares about people, and connects. And so one day we will have him on the show to discuss messaging and branding. But today it's something a little different. When Matthew and I first met, we bonded over a medium piece I wrote about my dad and how he was influencing my business at the time. I found out that Matthew lost his father just a little later than I did, at 21 years old. And we both have sons about the same age. And so as I wrote this episode, I felt compelled to reach out to Matthew to discuss our dads and how we remember them, honor them. As we jump into the conversation, I have just shared with Matthew what I shared in the show earlier, this idea that we glorify those who have passed, and it's the ones still here that seem to get forgotten. Yeah, well, you know what? It's funny, because I, I do remember, I don't know where I was. I might have been on a plane and, and kind of like, you know, that half-consciousness and your brain starts thinking about things. But like, I, I, I was having this moment where I was trying to imagine like what my dad would look like now, right? Because he was 55 when he passed away. That was, you know, 17, 18 years ago. So I started to imagine like, you know, what would he look like? And it was hard. And I think when someone does leave you, they become like, you know, encased in ice in many ways. And so you know, you're left with the memory of what they look like at that age. It, it becomes almost mythological, you know, almost like, you know, James Dean, right? We never saw mm. James Dean get old. So we, you know, you just see him in a certain way. And so I, I definitely think for me, there is a mythology about my dad and who he was and what I took away from him. And whereas, you know, you're absolutely right. I mean, my mom had to keep going on and, and has aged and, you know, has had the good and the bad things happen to to her. And yeah, it's definitely a weird and not always fair model because that person who left, like that's you're you're kind of you have such limited memories. Mm-hmm. And and it's so much easier sometimes to harp on the past than, you know, being present with the people that you still have. When we moved here to Amherst from 
from New York, we were going through our closets and I found this old videotape from my bar mitzvah <laughs> and, um, you know, somebody had like walked around the house taking video and, and there's like, you know, there's probably a 15 second clip where my dad comes on camera and talks to me and, you know, it's one of the few things I've left of his voice and that's like, that's the memory that sticks, you, you know, and whereas like, you know, my mom called me today. <laughs> and left me, you know, seven voicemails. So, <laughs> you know, and God bless her. And so to, to make a short story long, absolutely. Um, it definitely is kind of this, this stuck mythological hero status. I would imagine if I was the father who died, if I was my dad, I would want me to be living my moments, right? I wouldn't want me to be necessarily looking back so much. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And, and I think, you know, for me, the philosophy I, I probably take, whether consciously or subconsciously, are is like I definitely have those moments where something isn't going right in the business, or you know, I might be having a disagreement with a family member, or someone, and like you just wish like you could be you know five years old again and have your dad there to protect you, <laughs> um, you know, and and that's that's I think the hardest part. Um, I mean, I'm I'm I am fortunate. I have an older brother who uh, is five years older than me, and you know, is really you know, it's one of the biggest reasons I've come out how I've come out because he really stepped up. Um, but what I do really try to do is I always try to be present of the qualities of my father that I really respected and loved. And I try to, you know, I try to very consciously integrate those pieces into my personality. And so like, hopefully, you know, by making some of those things my own values, you know, you try to actually kind of embody the pieces that you love. And that can probably be the best way as opposed to, like you said, it, it not wanting to be, you know, modeling all the time or looking back. And so I think, it, I think it's just, I think it's a normal balance. And, you know, I think Father's Day is, is a little, you know, is always going to be a little bittersweet because, you know, on one hand, you get to be there for your family, but, you know, you have your dad. And it's, you know, for me, it's the same thing of, you know, his you know, anniversary of his passing. It's my birthday is always a weird time because mm -hmm. I celebrate my birthday and then two days later you're celebrating his, you know, the anniversary of the death. But I do think that I do just try to internalize and the things that I loved about him and, and make that part of my personality. And I try to teach that onto my own, you know, onto my son too, so that hopefully those things will carry on since he wasn't able to experience him personally or directly. Yeah. When you say, when you phrase it like that, it actually makes me think about my experience of the word legacy, because I think that word has really changed for me. Because I think when I was younger, and frankly, even when I was an, an adult, before I was married and had a kid, I always thought like my legacy was going to be, you know, this thing, right? I was going to write a book, or I was going to say a speech, or I was going to, you know, I was going to, or I was going to have an idea or whatever it was. And that it was going to be that thing that was going to live beyond me but it was going to be me, right? It was going to be my name on the book or my, my remember, people remembering me that it was my idea or whatever it was, right? And then once I had my son, I realized, wow, like, yeah, th that other stuff might still happen, but my, my real legacy, or at least the legacy that seems most impactful to me, is simply going to be how my son lives his life. And my name might never, ever come up. He might never say, after I die, he might never say my name ever again, but how he lives his life and how he chooses to show up every day my legacy remains. And that's, as you just said about your dad, that's what I kind of heard. Yeah, yeah. And and there's like, there's this great poem, and I can't remember it. <laughs> um, but um, I remember I read it at, actually, I read it at like my grandmother or my grandfather. I think it was my grandmother's funeral. She passed away when I was like 16. And 
it, it was kind of like it was the idea of the, like the definition of a successful life. I think that was the name of the poem, and it's that idea of like you know to have one person smile, to you know to to have helped one crying child, and basically to have made one person's life better by virtue of you being there. Like that's that's the sign of legacy. That's the sign of a successful life, and. And that's exactly it. I mean, it's great to have a museum erected in your honor, and it's great to, you know, be written in the annals of time. But, you know, if your family remembers you for the things that you've done and that carries down the generations, I mean, that's, that's not the worst thing that can happen to us. I want to thank Matthew Goldfarb for being willing to not only have a vulnerable conversation with me about this personal subject, but also to let me share it with all of you. I highly encourage you to look up his company, Corporate Renegade. They do really cool stuff and help individuals and companies to build messaging that is authentic, real, and powerful. Don't tune out yet. We got a few things to talk about. First things first, we have three meetups in the next 10 days. Wednesday, June 17th, we have an event in Toronto. It starts at 7 p.m. sharp. I will be doing a 30-minute talk followed by a Q&A and then socializing. The address is 37 Front Street East, Toronto, Ontario. Wednesday, June 24th, I am in Vancouver at Nickley's Next Door, an awesome place in Gastown. That is a 6 p.m. start. Similar structure to Toronto. Be on time and stay a while. And Thursday, June 25th, I am in New York City, Manhattan, the West Village to be exact. We'll be meeting at Art Bar on 8th Avenue. Start time is 6 p.m. for happy hour, and we'll be hanging out into the evening. This will be a pure social event, no official talk, though I'm sure I will talk all night, and we'll still answer any questions you throw at me. Come out and meet some incredible listeners at all these events. Music in today's show is performed by Des McKinney, Kevin McLeod, Broke for Free, Michael Lavat, The Insider, and Paddington Bear. Next, huge thanks to anyone who shared their passion for the show this week with others on social media by email, text, or word of mouth. We had one of our best weeks in a while, and there's definitely some upward movement again for the show, and that is all due to you sharing it with other people. Find us on social media. On Twitter, I am at Brett Gaida, and Nick is at Podcast Monster. And join the Where There's Smoke fan page on Facebook. Speaking of Twitter, thanks to a few of the awesome people who shared the show on Twitter this week. Paula March Davies, Mo Clark, Adam Spencer, Quinny Quinn Quinn. A couple of iTunes review shoutouts. Giovanni Marcico for his great review headline, You Had Me at Hello. And Euphoric from Canada who wrote, While other podcasts speak to me on some levels, this one failed to miss once since I started listening. Where there's smoke, there must also be solid talent and people that are not just in it for their own success. They care about me and you too. That warms our heart, man. Thank you so much. Hey, check out the interview I did for the Running Lifestyle podcast. There's an ongoing debate on whether I am a runner or not. Listen to the episode and you can chime in on the debate. To stay up to date on everything happening, join our mailing list. By phone, text the word SMOKE to 66866 or go to our website at www.wherethersmoke.co and you can sign up there. While you're on our website, you can also find a link to show notes, which includes a list of all the clips used in today's show. Where There's Smoke is conceived, fathered, mothered, written, edited, and released into the wild by Brett Gaida and Nick Jaworski. 
If you want your podcast to sound awesome, contact Nick at podcastmonster.com. If you want me to come do a talk, workshop training, or just buy me a cup of coffee, send me an email at connect at where there's smoke.co. It has been a while since we've had a clip of the week. And even though Field of Dreams was all over this episode like white on rice, the clip of the week goes to Inigo Montoya for his classic vocabulary lesson. Inconceivable! And finally, we have to ask Robin. I mean, how do you not like Field of Dreams? I can tell you the truth, I never even saw all of Field of Dreams. I fell asleep halfway through. What? The best part's the last 20 minutes. Well, maybe they should have moved that part up a little bit earlier, because... Oh, Robin. Must be a guy thing. Take care of yourself, listeners. We love you. We'll see you next week.